It's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over to watch any TV episode that they would like to watch. Today is, I have to say, a very, very special episode because it's the first episode of It's That Episode that has somebody who is in the episode of the show we're watching. Wow. Are you lost? I am. Um, My guest is a great actor, um, very nice man, all around great person, Matt Servito, who you might know uh, for many things, but uh, what would fit in with today's episode is his, he's very well known for being Agent Harris in The Sopranos. Yes. Actually, ha- welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. And it's sad that it's taken you this long to get somebody that's actually in an episode. Well, to, mo- <laughs> to be fair, most people aren't that pompous. That, that vain. Well, that and that's mask. fine. <laughs> I, my, my body of work now encompasses so many genres that it's just hard to find something I'm not in. <laughs> so, um, no, but I'm actually really glad, uh, really excited to talk about this yeah. today because this is... Uh, well, you so you, you chose to, to watch the final episode of The Sopranos <laughs> which is one of the most talked about finales ever and probably episodes of any TV show, really. And yeah. you were on the, the episode. Yeah, and I mean, and not just, you know, uh, my character sort of, um, you know, I recurred for all seven seasons. and uh, But I really, my, my storyline really kind of uh, percolated in those last couple of years. And, um, and what was really fascinating was to watch the relationship that I had to, uh, with Tony develop into a kind of... Um, a co-worker almost like we were just because I got transferred my character actually got transferred out of organized crime in North Jersey into anti-terrorism so I would just then only come by to see him because I knew where Tony hung out to just have a sandwich at the pork store yeah. and that I love because it was just like two suburban dads hanging out talking about their kids the the Knicks game uh you know the weather and and it was fascinating. I really, not only for myself, but I think for the audience, really began to enjoy that relationship. And uh, when people recognized me, they always referenced mostly, they're like, you used to sit at the pork store, right? And, exactly- and, the, and, so, so, and, and even though I had probably 20 episodes before that where I was, I got a bug in his house at one point. I uh, was tailing him. We were tailing Adriana. I mean, all these other storylines. But it, people always seem to remember the sort of, wonderful breezy moments of me tony and i just sitting having an espresso talking about what's happening it's so funny that you say the pork store because that's specifically when uh, when we're working on a project together now and when i heard you were in it i thought immediately of the pork store and i don't know why that that scene is so uh like you being there but it is all about the relationship and in this episode you're in the first one of the first scenes of the episode and it's exactly like that it's like a relationship like you have this moment where you're on the phone with your wife yeah. and it's like about um like leaving the the food out or, or you yeah, know yeah, she doesn't, doesn't, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to leave the food out but it's such a like a moment between you guys where it's yeah. just like oh listen to this shit you're talking about all this terrorist stuff and like what, what i love and it, it, it's it's such a great moment because everything in sopranos is about food it's like <laughs> even in this moment of sitting with tony i'm discussing over the cell phone you know telling my wife to leave the food out and i'll heat it up there's another great scene the funeral scene um 
for Bobby and there uh, there's a great overhead shot of just trays and trays of food yep. and people sticking their hands in it and shoveling it onto their plates and I'm a, I am Italian American and I do remember some of my earliest memories are of what we called in Detroit mustacholi which is basically ziti and every wedding and every funeral had the same Italian catering just mounds of pasta and and chicken marsala and all these different dishes and um you know and, the, and those smells and so it the really life is food to the Italians whether it's a death or or a birth or a wedding it everything seems to revolve around food and uh the funny thing is with the show I and mean, it's such a sidebar but the catering on the sopranos was always awesome oh, that's right. and i was convinced it's because like there was a weight limit if you fell below 300 pounds <laughs> they would kill you off the show so they basically were like fattening the calf constantly they just like to keep all those mobsters on the show just huge so like the, the craft service on the side wasn't just like granola bars it was like you know cannolis with with i mean you know all the food you could eat it was ridiculous i mean that's a, that sounds it was unbelievable. awesome it was awesome well yeah. now i gotta ask because you just mentioned all the people in the cast and there are some people that were and even if even if not the actors there have to have been some um People that had been involved in the mafia that were involved in the show, like to bring some. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, he's over tapping with. his nose, this, and I this see someone out the window. Is over with. No, but but um, do you think that have you gotten a response that like it's it's supposed to be a pretty realistic? I mean, there's fa- I mean, obviously the family is a big part of it, the actual yeah. family of Tony's family, but then the bigger family. Do you feel like it? Uh, people usually say like oh that's such a realistic portrayal i mean i you, you know who the, i i would say i've had pro- probably less mob guys come up to me though i've had some folks approach me uh, as i've had fbi agents really uh, oh yeah absolutely approach me in new york city approach me in the suburbs approach me at airports and tell me how realistic it is so that i think there could be no greater sort of you know uh, identification of just how one you know how close to reality we are than the FBI because they are the people that are monitoring these families Holy dealing crap. with these yeah so they're the ones I think and every one of them said because he says you know they also say you also capture you know over the years means many of the uh, co-workers I had a lot of the actors that played my uh, assistant agents you know just the sort of ennui of the job I mean what sounds and you know, most law enforcement looks so exciting on television and movies but there's just it's mundane I mean there's just a lot of just you know paperwork and sitting in cars and and they said, you know what you really get is that we love, like, when we just see you guys, you know, sitting in front of Tony's house, just, like, sipping coffee, having these inane conversations, and just a lot of just sitting and waiting. And it's like, that's most of the job. And then, for you know, it's, it's 23 and a half hours of waiting for, like, five minutes of, of oh, my God, he got in his car. And that's it. And like, and scene, you know, and it's sort of like, so I feel like, and that's, as I was watching the episode, I really did love sort of the, there's a, just the sort of nonchalance of just hanging, you know, there's a certain boredom to a lot of it. Like we're all just doing a job, even the FBI, the mob, it's a job. These are guys who have jobs. And I felt like for the show, the one thing that always came across is that in the end, Tony really was you know, just a, a suburban dad. His job just happened to be head of the mob, but it had its ups and downs and a lot of, you know, perks, but it also had just lots of like, oh God, this job's killing me. And it was killing him. And it was you literally know? killing him. Don't you weren't coming. You don't want to know. Actually, I do. We had intel a uh, Salafa cell was at Newark Airport boarding somebody into a 767 in London. You're right, I don't want to know. We get this all the time. 
Our source was either wrong or uh, was done to study our response. Happens all the time. What's up, my friend? You know, my kid is obsessed with this shit. But we tell him he's making a molehill out of it. Is she right? Hey, probably another hour. Just leave it out, all right? I'll, I'll heat it up. Well, then don't leave it out. What do you want me to say? You got a rough enough job with this terrorism shit. I'll let you get home. The reason I called is those two Arabs I turned you on to when I happen to remember my nephew mentioned the bank. Well, they had an account. A branch. The Mintner First Merchants Bank. You just remembered that? Yeah. Thanks. Oh, whoa, whoa. Right, listen. I know you got that friend in the Brooklyn office. Is it possible he knows where Phil Leotardo is? I want to try to avoid any more of my guys getting hurt. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you heard anything from your pal. I haven't. What's cool about also your character is in this episode, like you're saying about the boredom of the job, but there's a moment where I think it's when they kill Phil Leotardo. Yeah. Where they, you get the word and you're like, yeah, we're going to win this one. Like yeah. that you have... You're no longer – you're still an agent, but you're sort of following on the sidelines right. and you're a fan. You're like yeah. – you're part of the team in a way, which is such a cool thing. That's such a cool character thing. That is um, – that's an interesting footnote. That whole moment um, – again, I'm not going to be very specific on the details because I'm not remembering, not because I can't talk about it. But that is actually extracted from a um, the uh, recordings of an actual a judicial – investigation regarding wow. the mob and an FBI agent who actually kind of had picked sides and he is he is quoted as saying we're going to win this thing he was brought up on charges it was in the New York Post I when I used that line in fact that case came really to a head after we had shot our last episode and in the transcripts from the court thing this this actual line came out now David Chase who wrote the show and Terry Winter and many of these uh, the writers that we had over the years had many contacts within the FBI who fed storylines, who fed, you know, sort of and also just checked the scripts to make sure we were kind of keeping on course in regards to at least the legal end of things regarding monitoring the mob. But um, there is a huge I actually have a frame picture uh, from uh, a full page picture of me in the New York Post, probably a year or two after this final episode aired. And it says, we're going to win this thing. And it has an, a picture of me slapping the desk oh as I do God. in that moment from the show. And it, it so they tie they, they're like, you know, the post ties in how Sopranos knew about this, this actual quote, how they had worked, how we had worked it into the show, how it had been uh, injected into this court conversation. So that line has kind of become. Um, a bit, I mean, if I have a trademark line, I mean, guys will literally look at me on the subway and go, we're going to win this thing. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's a real fan. That's a bit of a trivia thing. So you'd have to be a real fan of the show. And I, de- but I definitely like, you know, once a month, I mean, I get recognized almost daily for the, for the role and for the series, but there's always somebody that really knows the show. And when they quote that line to me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that is in fact, a friend of mine wanted uh, for his bachelor party, wanted to get that on shirts That's for all so the whole, funny. the whole. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Are there any other, I have to say, cause I was going to ask if there are any other moments that people specifically remember you for, but a side note is that when I looked up 
just I think Googling UN Sopranos on YouTube or whatever, one of the clips was I think Adriana barfing on all of you. Yeah, I got I, 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 I got barfed on and I barfed. I barfed <laughs> at one point early in I think season six. Uh, it's like one of the first things you see. Uh, it's like the first scene of the first episode of, I believe it's season six. I've been transferred to anti-terrorism and I've just gotten back from Afghanistan, but I've got like a bug, like a, a, a you know, a food, some poisoning sort of thing. So we're driving around. I'm back in New York and I'm driving around with my partner and we're going somewhere and he's just talking about something inane and I'm sitting there and just, you see me just sort of looking out the window and I'm like, and then I haven't said anything up to this point And I finally just say, pull over. I fling the door open and vomit and the camera pans back and there's the New York skyline. And just this, <laughs> this puke sitting on the street. And that was just took forever. Cause you have to rig this machine with a plunger in a tube. The tube is taped to the side of your mouth. So you're not really barfing. No, it's the opposite. Well, I'm that's, you know, you see clearly, you know what kind of actor I am, Craig. You're and I appreciate that. Um, I'm a big phony. And so we rigged up a phony system where a, this tube is taped to the side of my mouth and there's a plunger um, filled with uh, oatmeal, chopped apples, chopped celery, you know, and it's all kind of like beige and gooey Ugh, and chunky. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, over and over. And then, of course, like some takes just look comical because it's like Monty Python, huge raging flow of vomit. And then there's like the first time we did, it's like door flings open and like I open my mouth and just like a couple of drops come out. You know, it's like, <laughs> so it really was finding like the right take that looked real. But it was the same thing with Adriana, her throwing up on us. Was the same thing, Cam- you know, tube on the downstage side of her mouth, away from the camera, and them using a plunger and just plunging this crap all onto me, take after- onto my beautiful Brooks Brothers suit. I- they must add twenty suits oh that day God. because she was just going to puke on my beautiful tie, silk tie, and Brooks Brothers suit over and over and over. And like sometimes it went all over the table. We had a couple of comic ones where it was just like. She threw up like, and it, and then you just cut like all over my face, you know, just sort of dripping slowly down. I'd love to see those deleted scenes. Yeah, I'm That's- trying to think. You were, uh, there was another. Um, oh, I was going to reference in the last episode as well. There is. I was wa- uh, watching as I was watching the episode. I wanted to really pay attention to. Um, I have the closest thing I had to have, I've ever had uh, to a nude scene yeah. where I'm half nude. Um, I'm lying in bed and there's a blanket. It was funny because in the script it said uh, Agent Harris sitting on the edge of the bed, uh, you know, shirt undone in his boxers talking on a cell phone to Tony. Well, so when we get to shooting it, David Chase is directing the last episode. He says, yeah, you know what? Um, Take off the shirt and like get in the bed. And I'm like, no, why don't I? Let's just do like I'll sit on the edge here. He's like, no, 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 no. Just take off your shirt and like kind of get in the covers and, you know, back. I'm like. Really? Because you know, I'm just thinking America doesn't want to see this. Like, my wife doesn't want to see this. Why does America want to like, see just take off? Just take off the boxers. Yeah, yeah, it was getting kind of weird and kind of like, and I really did. I'm thinking, no way. We're not going to do this. And sure enough, like, he has me down to the boxers. I, I get in the bed, pull the covers up a little bit. And uh, so then I have this whole scene, sort of shirtless, laying flat on the bed, talking to Tony on my cell phone. And then you come to find out, like, amazingly that agent Harris has been sleeping with one of his other agents. Um, this, this beautiful woman played by Amy Russ, who let's be honest, if this was real life, no way you'd be able to please. I couldn't pull that off. That, that, that's, that was truly that they had to pay an actress a lot of money to (laughs) give it to do that. But, um, so then the a friend of mine recently told me this story, which of course comes years after the fact. He said, I remember he said, Brian Williams, the ABC news anchor, um, is from Jersey, and he's a huge Sopranos fan. And I guess he was blogging at the time 
uh, about every episode of the last season. Every Monday, he'd write a whole thing about it. And after the final episode, uh, and because of the you know obviously unusual ending, he said, well, maybe the only thing we learned in that final episode is how hairy Agent Harris' his <laughs> nipples are. I was absolutely mortified when I heard this. I couldn't believe this. I said, Brian Williams blogged about my nipples? He, he had to have spent at least... I'd say four minutes just thinking about your nipples to write that sentence. That's, I mean, you know seriously. What I mean? Like, that's and a so, lot of thought. And, and, and here I have for... to tell you, having just watched the episode, my nipples are hairy. And, and I mean, I, it really kind of I, – maybe it was the lighting. Maybe it's the camera angle. But I'm like, yeah, they just look um, – it just isn't attractive. I knew that going in. <laughs> I was you know, kind of hoping that it wouldn't be cut that way. I thought maybe they'll just show my face. But uh, yeah. Anyways, I thought that was hysterical that Brian Williams. Um, That's so funny. You know, about that. I didn't notice that, but it must be either that they're that hairy or that Brian Williams is a nipple connoisseur. I, think that, I truly, I think that yeah. That's what I'm. I'm thinking. <laughs> it says more about Brian Williams than it does about my nipples. Yeah. Um. So I know that like a lot with a lot of TV shows and movies that are really hyped or people are really caring about that. There's a lot of secrecy around it. So like with this episode, you know, especially the finale, with this episode, I think it was highly anticipated. I guess it shot way before, obviously it shot way before it aired. But was there, did you know going in what was going to happen? I mean, you know, there's a cliffhanger at the end, but a lot of stuff happens. You know, in general, how much were were you aware of stuff going into episodes? For the most part, I mean, you know, the scripts were so well written. We just had so many amazing writers and there weren't a lot of changes over the time. You know, for the most part. Um, we kind of knew going in when characters are going to be killed. Uh, in fact, I mean, very often a lot of the like mob guys hated when they saw me coming in for a table read, me the actor, because they're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen with oh, this somebody's show? Gonna somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to die or somebody's going to get arrested. And it was amazing because sometimes I did not find out. Like, for example, when Vinnie Pastor, who played Big Pussy, uh, was killed. I didn't know it until I think a few people knew it. Vinny had been told, maybe James Gandolfini and a couple other people, but many of us found out when we came to the table read for that last episode, meaning, so we are going to read this entire script before we start shooting it. Um, And so uh, we did this for every episode. And so we come in and we start reading and I mean, it just took my breath away and everyone looked over at Vinny and he just sort of shook his head knowingly. And it was like, literally like a mob hit. It's the, it's a literary mob hit. It's the equivalent (laughs) of right. And, and, and then funny thing is, I mean, as, as the series went on, I mean, uh, we started having wakes and funerals, you know, for these characters, we'd go down a little Italy and, you know, when you got killed off the show, it became like an event. We'd go down and, you know, have like this funeral and we'd all get drunk and eat food and, you know, you were going on and it was uh it was pretty you know it just be kind of became a routine because we generally almost every season lost one or two actors yeah some big big roles yeah but the um I, I, uh, what did i want to say oh but the, with eight uh, when adriana um drea de mateo played adriana when she got killed off the show the script this is again right this was a, a season finale her that episode had adriana looking gets a phone call saying, come to us, we'll take care of this, we'll make this go away, because she's worried because right. they've discovered that the feds have been on to her. Yes. And she's like, I don't know what to do, I'm scared, and he, Tony's on the phone with her saying, it's okay, honey, come to us, we're oh, going to make God. this go away. In the actual script, at least to my memory, that I recall reading, um, she she hangs up the phone, she throws a bunch of stuff in a bag, she gets in the car, and she's like starts to drive to meet them, and you, you see her looking up at road signs as she's driving and kind of frantically looking. And then you just see her car head south down 95. It says Baltimore, Washington, D.C., never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. 
that was the ending. And I thought, oh, cool. Okay, so she's still alive, but she just basically realizes, I bet they're going to kill me if I go to them. And she just goes on the lam. And then, again, same thing. They went off and shot this alternative ending with her going. You know, you, you actually do see the moment. You see her looking at the signs. That's all in there, except now she get you know you see silvio in the car with her so then you never really wondered if this was in fact the way it even if you watch that episode the last five to ten minutes it almost looks like a dream sequence you're actually not sure if it's real i was not even convinced that she was dead i thought maybe this was her thinking about what would happen if i go there i bet silvio takes me out in the woods and he kills me where like i said i thought maybe that was just her you know, thinking about it, maybe she really is still in that car heading south down 95. But of course, as we discovered, she was gone. Oh, God. That, I, like, it's so funny because I haven't watched the show since it aired. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Except for this. And like, even just talking about certain like plot lines, I'm like, oh, I remember how intense it was just watching that. Like, with, with her character, that just got so like tense. And- yeah. That was really hard because, I mean, we really, for the most part, you just never um, saw any women you know, uh, abused. Well, other than, um, uh, Tony's, you know, sister, Aida Turturro's character, uh, um, Janice, um, you know, with had the, some of the physical abuse, but the killing a woman on the show yeah. was a big, big deal. And that's why I said, I was really surprised when they chose to do it because, and you still don't even see it. Actually, she crawls out of frames on her hands and knees. So it wasn't like, you still didn't see her get her head blown off, which is what he was doing. He was shooting her. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was a little much for the show. And that was a big, you know, um, when they, cro- they you know, they crossed over, you know, maybe that was a jumping the shark moment, but, um, yeah, that was harsh. It was harsh. But the, but in regards, if, if to tie it all in, to, in regards to the last episode and something that I got in trouble for, um, we, they brought a bunch of us to HBO in Manhattan has a screening room mm-hmm. at their headquarters in Manhattan at 42nd sixth. So they invited, um, some of the, a uh, handful of the guys were down in Florida. So they all watched it together down in Miami, I think. Um, at a party, uh, but a bunch of us were up in you know Manhattan at home, and they uh, HBO invited us, say a dozen of us, to come watch the screening of the final episode the night it was airing in America. So at nine o'clock on Sunday night of that last uh, episode, we'd be watching it simultaneously with the rest of America, but in a movie theater. So um, we all come, we watch it. Uh, it's amazing, you know, tears and just oh my god, I can't believe it. And, um, we all then come out and HBO has brought in a lot of press to talk with us and there's a food and wine. And so I have a couple drinks and a woman from the New York post comes up to me and she says, um, so what you think? And I'm like, oh, God, David Chase, man, he's incredible. He directed that. He wrote it. He's amazing. What an incredible last episode. Amazing. And she said, but, um, and she said, and what'd you think of the final moment? I mean, you guys knew that was coming, but I mean, what did you think of it? And I said, well, no, actually we didn't know that was coming. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, that, that's not the ending I remember reading. And she's like, you know, like, let me get my pad out. What? I'm on the and, edge of my seat. Yeah. Just and, I, and I'm like, well, I said, as I recall reading in the final episode, I mean, if you actually, if I had the printed page in front of me, it was, it was a little more generic. There was nothing as specific as blackout. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Tony looks up from his onion rings, which he's doing. And then, you know, and blackout as, as Meadow comes through the front door of the, of the diner. Um, it, it sort of ended a little, you know, you, 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 there's the description of the members only jacket guy going to the bathroom of the, the young African American guys coming in the door and looking at the pastries. And many of these characters, as we come to find out later, people blogging about it were, had some connection maybe to, to people who had been killed on the show. Mm-hmm. So there was a sense that of menace through the whole thing. You're like, what's happening here? 
And anyways, as it, it, it just sort of ended, it was not abrupt. It just sort of like the music's playing, they're eating onion rings. And it almost is like the first Rockwell, Norman Rockwell moment right. that the Sopranos have ever been given in seven seasons. They're sitting there listening to some tunes like any family in America, just enjoying a, a good night at the diner, having some laughs. And, and that's kind of how it read on the page. Like, oh, I love it. It's actually kind of beautiful, come full circle, beautiful yeah. moment. And maybe, maybe the Sopranos are going to be okay. And, so I, so anyways, as I described just at the post, I just said, I just think it was kind of different. I don't, you know, think it was quite as abrupt. And so we did, as we all sat in that movie theater, kind of, we thought the camera had broke the same way that everybody right, in America right. thought their cable had right. gone out because it stops. There's a blackout and David made a choice to sort of let it lay there for about Stay, yeah. eight seconds. And then the next thing you know, the credits start to roll and everybody in America is banging their cable box going, go, I can't believe we missed the, the last moment. This is, you know, and it was the same thing. We all stood there. It went to black. There's a pause. We all kind of, and then there was like maybe a giggle. And then we all kind of looked back at the projector to think the projector is broken. I can't believe this. I mean, we've watched 58 and a half minutes and now we're going <laughs> to, and, and now the, and then we all realized what David had done and it was genius. It was I mean, great. at least to my mind, it was genius. And so anyways, to make a long story longer, the woman from the post ran with this. So the next day in the post, she quotes Matt Servito, who played Agent Harris, as saying, oh, there is an alternative alternate oh, ending that, we, that maybe someday we'll see. You know, that was shot and that maybe when the box set comes out, we'll see that ending that maybe the true ending. And I'm like, I mean, I, I, HBO publicity called my agent who called me like, what did you say? Oh, that's and, so brutal. That's so and, and the most amazing thing is David Chase was in the south of France when the final episode aired. And I feel like I've spent the last five years, four and a half years, answering so many, in, in, you know, in, 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 help me, indignant fans mm-hmm. uh, who approach me on the subway, who approach me at airports, who approach me on a beach going, what the hell? What was with that last episode? What was with that ending? And I'm like, I didn't write it. I, I didn't edit it. I didn't direct it. I'm an actor. You know, I mean, but they truly like we've all been the whipping boy. And David sits in the south of France drinking, you know, Coke Daron, just laughing his head off. And, and, you know, like I fooled all of America. I pulled a fast one on you. And we've all had to answer for his, you know, his editorial choice for this all this whole time. But anyways, so that became um, it, it obviously faded very quickly once. I mean, I sort of I think I did. I didn't retract it, but I sort of did specify at some point say there isn't an alternate. It's just David chose to cut. Yeah, well, that's what that's it all. seems to me is that it's all about directing and editing. editing. That, if you if with those the genius about it is with those shots. If you had those same shots, you edited it differently, it would just have a different feel to yeah, it. that's all. And, and but th- I remember watching it because I watched it the night that it was on. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's the, the Sopranos are – if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. But the Sopranos are eating dinner. They're meeting at a diner. They're each coming in individually. Mm-hmm. And as um, – uh, now I'm forgetting the Meadow? daughter's Meadow, As Meadow is parking her car, yeah. I mean that part is amazing. When she has to – she's parallel parking and yeah. she has to go back again. It's such a tense moment because there are people – basically they're showing these shots of other people at the at – the, uh, Lurking. Other people lurking. lurking. Yeah. And, in the diner. And it could and be nothing. They could be no one. It could mean something. It could mean – yeah. It could mean nothing. It could be, be a, a hitman or whatever. Yeah. And just that having to start over that parallel park over and over is just like, come on, come on. I know. It's it's such a great sort of Hitchcock yeah. kind of like just suspect – because it could mean nothing. Yeah, And exactly. in the end, maybe it did mean nothing. I mean – but the way it's cut in with the music – it's funny because watching the episode, I, don't, I didn't recall how loud the music is, that the Journey Don't Stop Believing right. song. 
is really at a, I mean, we uh, the, almost all the music was always played underneath stuff. That is really cutting through the yes, scene. it's not just cutting diegetic through the edit. to use. Yeah, and it, it really is creating, you know, this sort of tension. But the, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the I, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I, I get lots of questions about it. And over the years, I've changed, you know, at one point I thought, Hey, he's probably what does it suggest? I think he may still be alive because that was what yeah. they people want to know. The fans say, "Was well, he dead or alive?" I said, "What well, does it? You know, I don't know. I don't know." And I used to say, "No, I think he's alive. I think it it just ended. I think you know." And then, um, and, but the you know, and, and then I sort of changed my tune. And as somebody pointed out, there is a moment I'd have to go back and watch this. I think it's the first episode of the seventh season, the last mm-hmm. season. Bobby Bacala and Tony are in a boat fishing, and they're talking about the end of, of life getting killed maybe getting whacked how does it end how do, what do you think what you know what do you think that goes through your head or <laughs> other than a bullet um but what i mean what do you what do you think it is tony how does it, and it just and i think tony said either bobby or tony says you just black you know it just yeah. goes to black and you know again there were so many wonderful interesting amazing and sort of insipid blogging about the last episode so many amazing things that i didn't think about things how people fans were connecting well one thing so many you know lines and moments back to other episodes one thing that i noticed that i hadn't noticed i'm sure it's been blogged about but i think at the beginning of the episode of this episode tony's eating an orange and in in the godfather that's like always the mark of somebody dying is there being oranges so i mean i'm sure other people have written about that but i was like Knowing now the end of the episode and rewatching because I haven't rewatched yeah. it since it aired, I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting because yeah. that that is a choice, yeah. you know, that is a choice." But it's so funny. Also, I was talking to my brother last week, and he was just like, "I don't know if he's seen it, but he's like, oh yeah, yeah, everybody knows he died at the end.' Like he just sort of threw it away. But I don't think it. I I didn't used to think I didn't used to think that, but watching it now, there is something to it. I also like. You even said it when you were – this is now getting into like conspiracy theory or like fanatic. But like you said that he, the guy who went to the bathroom was wearing a members-only jacket. Like yeah. that is a notable thing. Like that seems like – Well, a- and apparently – and again, I'd have to reference this. I've never really – there's so many things I read after the fact. The members-only jacket actor, the, the character, apparently comes from another ups and he, and he has some connection to Phil Leotardo. Might be like Phil Leotardo's nephew or something, but who Phil Leotardo is the character who who is killed in the last episode. Yes. His head is oh my run God, over. That scene. So there's some connection, I think, to Phil with this character. You know, but I, and again, I'm not even sure that I've ever seen that or had that actually proven to me. But the, um, I mean, the thing is, when these incense fans come up to you and they're just so livid about the final episode, it was more visceral right. three, four years ago. Now there's some bemusement about it all, but. Um, I, you know, when they would come to me, I would just say, all right, fine. All right, you hated the ending. What would be your perfect ending? What would you have liked to see? Would you have liked to see Tony end up in jail? No, not really. I mean, like, yeah. So, like, Agent Harris arresting him and taking him off and carting him off to prison, that would stink. You know, all right, so would you have liked to see him just get blown away? Would you have loved to see just a bullet go right through Tony's head, him get whacked in front of his family, they're screaming and yelling, and blackout? No, I'd hate to see him get killed. I mean, he's Tony. We've been watching. I'm like, okay, so what's your ending? And nobody has ever given me a perfect ending. And that's why I say, well, maybe in the end, the perfect ending was to just cut out. And I think that that's why it's such a genius. I feel like no matter what, an ending can't be satisfying unless you do like a two-season thing. You know, once you have – once you're so invested six or seven seasons like this – 
you can't be happy. Like Seinfeld, like the end episode, which I think is one of the other major s- series finales that people yeah. talk about. Everybody hates it, you know? Yeah. But it's for, uh, I mean, I don't. Well, it's also like, was I, not, a, I mean, even as their episodes go, it wasn't their best episode. Well, it's Because it had to finish, you know? It's also, there isn't usually a story arc through the seasons right, of right. Seinfeld. So it, does, it was just weird. I don't, I don't even care either way. I didn't like dislike yeah. it that much. Yeah. But like with this, that I remember watching and being like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. But when you come down to it, it is. It, it, it's, it leaves it up to the audience. Yeah. And, and if you're mad about it, you're mad in a good way. You're mad yeah. because like I feel like I wanted more. And that's yeah. what you were given. I you think, know? I, I think in, in, uh, if anyone's listening, because uh, I'm sure there's no one listening to this. Um, <laughs> but I think you know, I would highly recommend watching, um, if you've seen the show before, watch the last two episodes mm-hmm. together. They actually are on this. I mean, if you get the box set, they're on the same discs, episode eight and nine. Um, uh, I think it's, the, it's episode eight. It's called The Blue Comet. And it's the second to last episode. And for my money, a better complete episode uh, writing-wise, uh, uh, story-wise, than the last episode. And in in a weird way, it, uh, not so weird, in a designed way, it actually, I believe, has the ending that David Chase initially wanted Ooh. for the episode. A little interesting tidbit here. I, I think I read somewhere, because David really didn't ever divulge much information. I, I you know, I, I learned more from about David Chase than uh, reading in a Vanity Fair interview uh, and, and, and near the end of our time together than I ever learned spending time with David on the sets. Um, very private man. I'd say the only thing that's never come across in the interviews is David has a delicious sense of humor. He loves to laugh. He loves a good joke. He loves, he has a dark sense of humor. And so very often on set, he would giggle at stuff that nobody else was laughing at. Um, and he was a lot of fun in those moments. In fact, I'd love to see David do some really broad comedy. I think Mm -hmm. he would just, but anyways, he, um, uh, where was I going with all this? I forget. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Uh, you were saying that the second to last the second episode. to last episode. I think I either read somewhere or somebody in the cast might have told me that David, one of his initial ideas for the ending of the show, he said, you know, I didn't have any clear idea where this was going to end, but I thought in the that maybe the real you know sort of tragic ending to all of this isn't killing Tony, but keeping him alive in a very painful way, mm. so that. Um, there's an, at the end of that second to last episode, the episode called blue comet is this great overhead shot of Tony in a safe house in a, uh, this house with like no furniture and he's on a rusty old rickety roll away cot, uh, with like no mattress on it. And he's laying there. Uh, it's dark in the room and he's got this huge machine gun across his chest and he's just kind of looking paranoid and the camera's overhead slowly coming down towards his face and you realize the way to the world. Like, and what you realize is this is my life for the rest of my life. This is my life. Mm-hmm. I'm now, I'm no longer in charge. Things have gone, you know, all hell's broken loose. And my, my family, we, we, the family unit will never be the same. It's why then he kind of does that denouement where you have this, this, in that last episode, it's like, you know what? Maybe everything is going to come yeah. full circle and the family unit will be complete. And they finally get their Rockwell moment. And I think, David probably would have loved to have put a machine gun to that whole moment because yeah. that's just not David. But he, like, I'd love to give it to them, and then I'm going to kill them all. You know, but that's why I think that's – I highly recommend that second-to-last episode. I, there's a great Bobby Bacala gets killed at the train store, the, the right. model yes. train yeah, store. Yeah, it's yeah, just a that. great scene, and there's a great shootout at the, at the, at the uh, I believe it's at the Bada Bing. I mean so many great moments, and, and um, yeah, which only then lend itself to the – I mean it's almost a two-parter. The, the, the last two episodes are almost – in tandem to be watched together. But I, I've always thought that, I mean, I remember literally that, that the end of, of that 
second to last episode, taking my breath away. I mean, turning to my wife going, that is where the show should end, right there. Just You don't know what's going to happen, but you sure as shit know that Tony doesn't know what's happening next, and he's he may be you know living like this the rest of his life. I also thought one of the suggestions that I thought would have been really cool for the last season because it was so much buildup. What are you going to do? Yes, yeah. I would have loved to have seen, I, I, and this could have been you know something David might have thought of, just kill Tony in like the second episode <laughs> and then make it about Carmella because, I mean, Edie, Edie yeah, Falco, so I, I can't good. say enough about Edie. She's I mean, so just good. truly, I mean, one of the a- acting gods or goddesses in my world. Um, I just think I would have loved to have seen Carmela's struggle with a dead mob husband. She's now ostracized by the mob, uh, and she has to make her own way. These with spoiled children who have never worked, who have been given everything. She had started to do the real estate stuff, but now she really has to support herself. Maybe they have to move to a crappy apartment in you know Irvington, New Jersey, or something so pedestrian and small and crappy, and and just how scary that is. And so that would be interesting to watch this mob widow make her way. And really, and actually, maybe succeed. Yeah, you know. And so that's. I I just thought that would have been really cool. Like rather than draw this out, let's just get rid of Tony. Just kill him in the second episode. Tell no one, and then just shoot this incredible like six episode ending of just you know the Sopranos trying to make their way. That would be. That's like the awesome Edie Falco spinoff of the Sopranos. That's well, that's interesting that you say that because I did uh, this show is I love Sopranos, amazing. It felt like I I wanted like you. They were pushing the new york new jersey thing so much i was like i wanted this to get to an all-out war i just want to see like yeah that that there was so much so many storylines that never you know i think and that's why there were so many fans that felt unsatisfied because there were so many storylines that you wanted to begin to percolate to begin to come to a head and just when they would start to kind of get there the writers would pull them back. They, it, you know, they never sort of tied up things with a bow. You know, I, that, it wasn't just the ending episode that I, I that I still get berated about. It is where's the Russian uh-huh. that escaped in the Pine Barrens episode? Oh, where's the rape? Where's the rapist with the the the, the Doctor Melfi when she got accosted? Oh yeah, and you were waiting for her to tell Tony about the rapist so he could kill him and. You know, all these various storylines that kind of just never quite had a bow, a perfect put it under the Christmas tree moment, and which is what 95% of television does. I mean, you can watch each complete episode as a beginning, middle, and an end. And with The Sopranos, so often he just did not want to give you that satisfying ending. But you that's, know, they, that's pretty badass. <laughs> it is. I mean, I mean, honestly, as the show went on, it asked less and less of uh, of the show to be a traditional television show and asked... I, I felt more and more uncertainty. I mean, really, like you're now you're just messing with us. Maybe that's we all like this. Just keep messing with us. Yeah. Don't you know? Just every time you think something's going, we'll kill him off. You know, we'll just or we'll turn this completely towards, uh, you know, uh, 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 God, Robert Eiler's character, Johnny, uh, Johnny uh, Cakes, the Johnny. No, 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 no. <laughs> the son, AJ, 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 AJ. Yeah. You know, we'll go to AJ and 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 make it about him. I mean, I just loved his storyline as the years went on. I thought, you know, especially in that last episode, he had oh my some God, yeah. great stuff. And and I can't say enough about Dominic Chinese. Again, I just thought Dominic Uncle Junior. Oh, he is uh, over the yeah over the years again. Uh, so many times, people coming up to me, "Where's Junior? I want more Junior." And even for my money. Again, I could watch Edie Falco read the Yellow Pages. I could walk do- watch Dominic Chianese, you know, just sort of sit there and do. Yeah. Not- I mean, in fact, there's a great thing. One of the, my favorite scenes, maybe in that last episode, uh, which again could have been a great ending episode, is just when Tony's sitting there talking to, to Junior. I was crying when I was yeah, watching it. It's so good. I, 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 I mean, again, having not seen that probably since that night, watched that episode, and he's just sitting there saying, "You don't know who I am, do you?" 
and you don't know what I'm talking about. And, and there's just, I mean, and the fact that Dominic chose to not wear his dentures yeah. and he looks awful. I mean, he looked, he aged 10 years in one days for that, for that scene. And, and just looking out the window in this sad, you know, moment. And I thought that could have been, that could have been the ending. You know, that is that maybe that's just where we, you know, just comes full circle. This, this towering, you know, powerful mob boss has just been reduced to like shitting his pants and, and and being in this old folks home, just staring blankly out the window. And I'm like, and Tony, Tony, and I love it. Cause you look in Jimmy's eyes and they're just wet. He, yeah, he's got, yeah, and he gr- looks yeah. like he's about to start crying and he gets up and walks out of there before. And he's looking at all the kind of like he's in the uh, freak show and then a, in a haunted house, all of a sudden he wants to get out of there, out of that old folks home. And it's just a great scene. And, yeah, there's so many great moments. It's so awesome. Moments. One last thing. Yeah. I just need to ask what it's like acting in like in that episode you are in a car with James Gandolfini. Like he's a powerhouse actor. What is it like sitting next to him doing lines? Jim, Not lines of cocaine. No, lines no, well, of, of course. Yeah, line, you mean lines off the dash. Um no, I mean Jimmy Jimmy is um and, and again, so many of these guys cuz the show was so heavy and so serious. And what, you know, what I know is that all of these guys have an amazing sense of humor, wicked, wicked sense of humor. Some of them are impish. Some of them are jokesters. Some of them were playful. Some of them love to laugh. But, you know, so it's why I think it's so funny because you see all these guys playing really heavy, serious roles over many seasons on the show. And I'm telling you, the minute it was cut, it was enough, a lot of laughs on that show. And I mean, you'd think how I, I mean, really. I well, mean, that there was, I was saying to you earlier before the podcast about there's that one scene where, where Tony, I thought it was hilarious. It's such a dark humor, but he's like, they're like, we're going to go visit Silvio. And he's like, no, I, I don't, I can't go. I got to, you know, Meadow, she's blah, blah, blah. like, he's depressed. Like he has to deal with all this family stuff. Then he just picks up like a submachine gun <laughs> yeah, yeah. and walks up the stairs. <laughs> it's like so funny. It yeah. just really like cut that whole scene where he just picks up like, oh, uh, the family problems. Yeah. And then he just grabs this huge gun. It's and Tony, Sh- and Tony Shiriko, I mean, who played Paulie Walnuts. Oh, he, he is the best. Yeah. He and, and there's that great, storyline in the last episode where the cat keeps staring. Oh my god. Yeah, right. and I mean it's so funny because like over the I, I, you know, I did another show called Brotherhood and one of the things about Brotherhood was it was again a very wonderfully written Peabody award winning uh, show just Peabody award for writing, you know, the very literate and so smart but a very I always said it was like a, a good Irish whiskey very dry, very, it kind of burns in your throat a little bit and not a lot of humor in that show what I always loved about Sopranos is there was a certain humanity there because of the humor that there was, and, and there was just certain scenes that there's a great uh, scene with the FBI at one point where we're all watching footage of Tony's house when we're trying to get a, a put a bug in the house so we can monitor conversations that Tony's having with other mobsters. And we're watching video footage that had, they've snuck into the house and taken video footage of his basement. And we're watching yeah, like that might be a good spot that might hold on back up, back up. Oh, look at that. His water heater's leaking. I'm telling you, that's that's probably what a sixty-gallon water. Heater. You know what? That's going to cost a lot of money to replace. Yeah, you know my water heater did it. You're kidding? No, no, no. Yeah, it started leaking like that. I mean, all of a sudden you have four FBI agents talking about water heaters and how expensive they are and how you want a bigger water heater because you know. And that's just that was the writing on the show. It was about the, those human moments. These just sort of, you know, what's uh, it's like takes things like Goodfellas and The Godfather and just breaks it down to the most like how does this cannoli taste? It's good, but you know I've had better cannoli. It's it's you know it's those sort of interesting human moments, and then these amazing flashes of sexual 
energy, you know, uh, uh, or or somebody getting whacked or coke and yeah. drug deal, a drug deal going bad or something. But but then you know, lots and lots of just family moments and interesting sort of behavior stuff. So, yeah, it's like a re- it's a family story. But I'm sorry, let me all go all the way back to Gandolfini. Jimmy is just amazing, and and um, you know, but he was not one of those people that was like. You know, he doesn't mess around between takes. I mean, he, he, he really, I always felt he kept a very quiet intensity between takes. You know, sometimes he would just break it with a great joke or he would, we, him and I would just find ourselves sitting there freezing cold, laughing. Um, as I recall, that, that was a cold night when we shot that thing and they had the snow machine going and we were right out by Teterboro Airport and um, a lot of takes. I think we shot during the night, so we were probably shooting from, say, 10 at night till 6 in the morning. And, yeah, and... Uh, and what the beauty of that is, you know, you're both pretty exhausted and it has that wonderful yeah. feel when you see it. Cause I think as I look at myself, I'm like, yeah, I think I was pretty, I think I maybe had two or three kids at that point. I was pretty exhausted myself, Matt Servito. So I, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at that going, yeah, I think we're shooting that in the middle of the night. And so all of that's just playing real easy. I don't have to do much. I just look tired and I don't have to do it. And, and, you know, Jimmy, uh, what I loved is I think working with Jimmy over many seasons, I, I, you know, felt myself coming more to his style of acting and just, you know, I loved that Jimmy kept, he kept everything very much in his eyes, in his face. There was a vulnerability, an intensity, a menace, a vulnerability. I mean, there were so many things going on and I just found myself coming close. And that's why I said the last two seasons were great because a lot of my stuff was just with Jimmy. Early on, it was with Jimmy, with Tony, the character of Tony. And later in the, in the middle, I was chasing, we were chasing Big Pussy, we were chasing Adriana. And I love that it came full circle back to doing stuff doing scenes again with uh, James because I really felt like um his style forced me to you know stay in the moment um and like I said he wasn't you know some people can break way out of character and come right back Jimmy just always maintained a certain like I said professional intent you know level and and a certain intensity that I liked because he'd take after take he'd come in and give you you know very consistent and and just the, the most subtle stuff and you could see things in his eyes and he would—he was never afraid to take pauses or beats. I—I I, I feel like as an actor, sometimes I get self-conscious when nobody's talking, or we should right. not. It's so indulgent for us to be taking this beat. Jimmy would just take those beats, you know. And you've earned them. I mean, he's—he's he's earned them. I mean, he's—he knows his character at this point. I mean, that's what I love is those last couple seasons. I mean, he's on fire. He's I mean, great. all the characters—they've been writing for you for so long, so the writing is so dense, and it's there because they know the characters. The actors know the characters, and uh, so many wonderful little things going on every moment you know well, i love i think you're just saying about the pauses and stuff well one of the most notable I, that show i when i think of it i think of him breathing like he can just breathe like yeah. his breathing is like a big part of the show yeah. and it's like, i know that's amazing i just saw a great there's a great stand-up I, uh, i'm not gonna think of his name he's he does a, an amazing tony soprano imitation i'm not gonna say james gandolfini a tony soprano because james is a great actor and that was a character because yeah. if you met james he's nothing like tony um and he does a great tony soprano imitation and p- the first thing he does for the first sort of 10 seconds of the imitation when you see it on youtube is just breathe yeah and you immediately recognize it with this kind of <laughs> this kind of deviated septum like breathing through you know mouth breather sort of thing and and uh yeah and it just it's- james had in fact i, I would say Jimmy could do so many amazing things just with like a heavy, he just always sounded like he had the weight of the world. He would just blow out like through his nose, like, and you just felt for him. I mean, he was like saying a million things with that one simple, like just exhale, you know, he could say more with an exhale than he could with like a monologue. It just sort of said, 
I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. I want to kill this person. I want to fuck that woman. I want to do this, do that. And it, it just, but it always had this, I think that breathing had this animal quality to it Yeah, that totally. I, I really do feel in the end kind of lent itself to this. He was always just kind of a, 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 a bear, you know, it had that kind of breathing of a bear that could uh, like, he could kill you. Or he could just slumber and sleep. You know, I mean, so many great shots of Jimmy in bed just kind of sleeping or just eating. You know, I love all that stuff. He just always had the And so so amazing. So many women would say to me over the years how they were so sexually attracted to James Gandolfini. Or I should say Tony Soprano. And I'd be like, really? (laughs) You know, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm not quite seeing that. I get it with certain other actors. But, like, I'm not. And they're just saying, no, you don't understand, man. Like, there is just this animal magnetism about Tony Soprano. You know the food and the and the heavy breathing and this hulking body and this anger and intensity and I'm like, oh yeah, now I know what you're doing. <laughs> so I'm watching it differently now. You know, that's so funny. Yeah, um, because this uh, a lot of people listen to this are into comedy. I have to ask one other thing that's not related to Sopranos, but you were in a Woody Allen movie, Melinda and Melinda, I was. and I just have to ask what it was. Like working with a, a sort of a comedy and director, he's released one movie basically every year since the yeah yeah. I, and I did uh, whatever I was the graduating class of like 2002 or something. I yep. think I'm not sure what year that was. Melinda and Melinda. Um, I, I I you know I'll go on record. I'll say it. I think one of his lesser films. I think a fascinating premise. I'll, I'll agree. And, yeah. I mean. I mean. And really. I mean. It's just because I'm a huge fan. I mean. And I just think that some are better than others. And um, this one, you know, for me, I, I, I thought it. It the the premise was so. Um, he went. He he was really trying something, taking a you know an incredible literary risk and saying, here's the con- the conceit. A woman comes in and tell, she's having dinner with two different guys, both of them writers. One of them a comedy writer. One of them writes like serious novels. And she's telling a story about her life. And the comedy writer, which I think is Wally Shawn, is saying, oh, my God, this is great. I could, I could write so many you know, great funnies. I could write a very funny script based on this story. And then uh, Larry Pine, wonderful New York character actor, is the serious writer. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's a very good drama. I could, oh, this would be a wonderful novel. This, would, this is going to be my next book. And they each take her story and kind of interpret it in their own way. And I think, oh, my God, that's so it's a great I mean, idea. perfect. It's a, it's a great idea. And, and, but its execution, it just sort of I, – I got a little – it could just be me. I got a little lost in, mm-hmm. in, as, as, I, as, this, as it meanders. I'm never quite sure, and maybe that's Woody's intent. You're never, maybe it's all in the end. It is what – things are what they are. Is it comedy? Is it tragedy? And the lines kind of blurred. And I thought, well, that's genius you know, because that I actually like. I'm not sure if that was the intent, but that's kind of what I took away from it. But um, you know, working with him was uh, – I mean, look, again, it's on your checklist. If you're a New York actor, <laughs> it's like Scorsese, Woody Allen, Sidney Lumet, God rest his soul. I mean, there was just a handful of people. I have John Patrick Shanley, who I'm a he- one of my heroes, both as a writer and, and uh, director of theater and, and his movies. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just like Woody Allen. And, um, and uh, it was funny because when I auditioned for him, I had been told by another actor, don't look him in the eye and don't shake his hand. He doesn't like to shake hands, and he really doesn't like to be kind of a direct, uh, addressed directly. So just kind of come in, don't look at him, and just do your audition. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. So like an hour later, I'm at the audition. They call me in. He stands up and walks towards me. I immediately look down. I don't shake his hand. And he's sitting there with his hand extended like, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking him in the eye. I'm looking down and I won't shake his hand. And I'm like, what am I? 
So I'm, I, I kind of half look him in the eye and shake his hand, and I realize that was all bullshit. Like that's, this, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I trusted this friend, and I don't know. I, I, maybe it's something they had heard over the years, but no, he couldn't have been more pleasant. He walked over, shook my hand, looked me in the eye, said, "Thank you for coming." Uh, yeah, let's do it. I mean, he trusts his casting director so much that he really—it's—it's it's less of an audition, more of just let me just see, you know, hear and see you do this and. And he, once you're cast, you know, it's your role. I got cast and then I um, wanted to grow a beard. It was, a, you know, I only had a few scenes in the movie at the beginning of the movie. And I was playing a theater director and I was kind of like, they're going to put me in, I went into the fitting. It's like in this long sweater and kind of very artsy fartsy New York look circa 19, like maybe 99 or something. And I thought, oh yeah, I'd love to grow one of those kind of half beards that a lot of like artists and directors have, you know, kind of sexy and swarthy. So um, I, I, I knew that they were shooting in Central Park, uh, another scene from the movie. So I went to Central Park. I found the production. And they're like, oh, hey, you're going to be playing our director. And you're working next week. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Woody around? And they're like, oh, yeah, you want to see Woody? I'm like, yeah, I just want to ask him a question. And so they bring me in. You know, uh, to the video village where the camera, you know, the monitors are set up. And between takes, I just kind of, you know, hey, what do you say? Oh, hi, hi, hi. Yeah, we're working next week. Great. Everything okay? I'm like, yeah, I just want to ask you, you know, is it okay if I grow a beard for the role? He's like, I'm sorry, what? I was like, is it okay if I grow a beard for the role? He's like, did you come here to ask me that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I just didn't want to show up with a beard. And he's like, it's your character. You know, you, you can do with whatever you want. And I was like, oh, he's like, I mean, if you want to shave your head, you know, and I was like, Okay. Wow, great. that's and, really. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. and, and what I love is that owners, that sense of ownership. That, it's like that it's he would yours. Say, that's your. I've part, cast but... you. It's yours now. Your. I'm looking to you to come in and bring your A game. So this is you know, uh, and so that's really what he is. I mean, I think in the best directors, that's what they do. They they their ninety percent of their job is to cast the right actors and then to just let them you know and then capture all that magic, and they don't want to have to sit and have to spend a lot of time on set like giving you notes and redirecting. It's just just the little nudges, little taps, and Woody just gave us little taps. Um, I, I tried some improv. Some of it fell completely flat, but he wasn't. I mean, I actually was ready to improv. Some of the other actors, I, I, I felt like at work, you know, we, we had this dinner party scene and I was looking to do a ton of improv. And I think maybe I got a little overzealous and I had to come up with all these great ideas. <laughs> and I, I remember at one point where he's like, okay, so just, you know, you can improv and then go into the scene. Like just, you're at a dinner party, you're talking about things and then go into the lines and then we'll cut out. You know, so I have this whole thing, you know, and I say something to one of the other actors, like, uh, you know, in classic improv thing, I say like, oh, so how, oh, how's your back? I know last time I, I said, have a back. Yeah, yeah, ex- <laughs> no, it, it was, that, that would have been fine. Cause I would have said, oh, I thought you did have a back. And no, it was like, no, like, I think, I think the actress just looked at me and said, no. And I was like, classic improv. Yeah. I mean, just, I'm like, th- okay, there is one thing that's just, ne- you don't just say no. Yeah. Like it, she looked at me and just went, no. I mean, like, and I think it was sort of no. I'm not gonna. It was like no. no that's not the line. No, I'm not gonna improv with you. Just no. And I was kind of like, oh my, okay. And then I'm like, then I just started trying to come up with something, talking about one of these plays that I'm directing. Like I've got this crazy idea about making a musical of the Mahabharata or something, you know. And I so I just, but it was that's and, and, so. But funny. I was the only one improving, and so it just kind of like, and then we went into the lines, and it was cut, and then like here's this beat, and Woody comes up, he's like, okay, well remind me not to come to your dinner parties, and I mean it was, <laughs> because it was just like so flat and dead, and I'm like, come on guys, we're in a Woody Allen movie. That's so. Funny. I mean, if, if you that's didn't so... think you were going to get asked to sort of maybe ad lib, then you should <laughs> never audition for a Woody Allen movie. I mean, this is what I was so excited to do, but. 
you know, as I said, and then I got a little overzealous about it. But in the end, it it was very easy breezy. No, man, they had they as an improviser, they had to have your back, man. You I, you're I supposed mean, to go all out. And I know, and I just thought, come on, we're you. all. I, I'm like, I'm thinking we're going to do more improv than we are even going to do the script, and maybe we'll find that wonderful Woody Allen kind of rhythm, you know, of just great sort of neurotic <laughs> New Yorkers talking about themselves, and it's a dinner, it's a Woody Allen dinner party <laughs> yeah. in this amazing apartment in Soho. We're shooting in this gigantic loft. You know, you always see those Woody Allen movies. You go, where the fuck is that apartment? I mean, look at that. It's insane. It's awesome. It's got five bedrooms. And we are. We're in one of those lofts where it's just immense, beautiful, and we're like, you know, it's all lit gorgeous. He's got the same DP. Woody Allen's had the same DP for years. Guy's amazing. And, um, and, yeah, the thing, place looks amazing. We've got all this cooked food. Uh, Chloe Sevigny's in the scene. Um, uh, oh, what's his name? John, Johnny Miller, Johnny Lee Miller is in the, in the scene. Um, yeah, just some really good actors, great actors. And, uh, but anyways, um, so my time with Woody was brief, uh, and I had a few days on the set and, uh, um, it was, you know, like I said, it was a thrill just, just to be near, uh, as I do recall. So, uh, I, we were shooting in October during the, um, world series and the Yankees were in the world series that year. And he literally would spend a lot of time listening to the games. That's so funny that you mentioned that because my brother recently said some quote of his that I'm probably going to misquote, but it was like, if it's between getting another shot of the same scene or getting to the next game, I'm going to get to the next game. No, he's a huge sports fan. And so, like I said, he was like definitely monitoring the Yankees games on his headset. Like where, where I thought he was watching playback of the scene. It's like, uh, no, he's listening to the seventh inning of the, you know, I mean, and so he, it's, it, that was fun. You know, I mean, you realize in the end, just a very diehard New Yorker. And, uh, but like I said, not, a, not a tyrant and, you know, and he's timeless. I mean, he's, it's just amazing how he keeps going. I, I know. He's like having a re- another renaissance. Yeah, I feel I, I really do. I feel like he's kind of come back around and that his, you know, his, his films have found that that element again. Yeah, that, that, he, I feel like know. he just sort of like he'll always have a movie like every year have a movie. You'll dip in and out of like which ones you're going to see or which yeah. ones have the critics love. And then yeah. it's just I mean, he's just what amazing. a luxury. I mean, I feel as an actor, I mean, if you could guarantee me one film every year that I, you know, so that I'm going to express myself and my, you know, my, my sense of humor, my sense of life, my, you know, that I'm always at least once a year going to have a chance, an opportunity to do that. It's like, so it's I mean, a- I've been lucky because I've had a lot of, but it's so often with other people's writing right, exactly. and stuff, but uh, no, he's amazing. Um, well, Matt, I thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about all this stuff. I've been badgering you to do it. And I, I, I look very, I very much look forward to uh, the next one when we discuss your pretty face is going to hell. Yes, uh, coming up a, a series that uh, I'm working on here in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, uh, for Adult Swim, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm very excited. As I know well. you're keeping that from your fans, but we'll Do, talk. I about don't it want the- anybody to know that I'm working on the show. Yeah, Matt and I are working on the show together. We're acting together. I play. He plays Satan. I play uh, one of his minions, who's a demon in and, hell. And I try to ad lib, and you just go no. I just say no. no. You say no. Do you have back problems. I say no. I'm leaving. <laughs> Uh, but, I just stand up and leave. <laughs> you don't even say no. You don't say nothing. It's like, I can't work with this. Just go on. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure working with you. And it's uh, I'm very, very happy that um, we're about this, to. This was not as painful as I thought it yeah, would be. I, I know. mean, it's helped that we've been drinking the whole time. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if you could hear the ice clinking in the glasses. We're but, trashed. Yeah. And. I've been I, during this sentence. I'm now taking my shirt off. So, I but, think I, and I, but I also really want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about the Sopranos because I, I, uh, 
it is it's weird i will always be known for that show i mean no matter what i do i mean it's not it's it, i guess it's my archie bunker i mean carol o'connor amazing actor but he will always be archie bunker i mean to a certain section of the population i'm just always going to be agent harris and you know and and the sopranos will always be a part especially that final episode will always be a part of my life because as i said i get you know, I have to defend it to the public, but it was wonderful. And thank you for getting, you know, like asking me to do this. Cause I went back, watched that episode for the first time in, in a number of years. And it was great. It was all, all of it's better than I ever remembered it. I, and then as I said to you, I would love to go back. I think I'm going to talk my wife into going back and watching one through seven yeah. series, one through seven again, because there's uh, just so much great stuff, so much great writing and it's getting, it's already, I mean, God, we shot the first season in 98 so i mean i I wouldn't be surprised if hbo doesn't do some like huge you know 15th anniversary i mean i think it's even been five years now since maybe this year will be five years since the last episode so maybe they'll i I, should it's like a it's a huge i think it like put hbo like back on the mark for like original programming oh i mean there, there was a point when we were doing sopranos the only part of the aol time warner family that was turning a profit was hbo i mean an entire media empire and i remember reading something about the stockholders going crazy because the only element of the entire empire of aol time warner that was profitable and hugely profitable in the hundreds of millions was hbo that's amazing because the music because of the dvd sales because of all the series and subscribers and you know but anyways it's it's fun to look back at that stuff and you know it's uh i, I you know you see when people get asked to go back and watch one of their old shows and you're like oh, what is that like i just was reading the cast of newhart bob newhart show oh, yeah. great interview with the whole all the remaining uh, i think only one of them has died i think almost all of them are still alive and it was just great to see you know and and, and years later just seeing them all saying how much they still certain their favorite episodes and how much they love working together and you realize that goes with you forever. That's always, and I mean, I just, that is, was such an amazing group of people, and I, I miss them all terribly. Anyways. Anyways. This is the alcohol type. We can go. I'm going to just I keep going. I love you. Anyways, love all of you. If you're listening, <laughs> Jamie Gandolfini, Lynn Siegler. Um, thank you so much. It is right, an you. absolute pleasure, Matt. I really appreciate it. One more big thank you to Matt Servito for uh, stopping by and watching the finale of The Sopranos with me. That's pretty cool to talk about The Sopranos with somebody from The Sopranos. It's a great show and um, awesome reminiscing about it. Um, Reminiscing about my time watching it and his time being in it. Um, I forgot to mention this last week, but It's That Episode is now a part of the Splitsider podcast network, the Splitsider, uh, you know, Splitsider.com, which is a comedy blog and website with cool news and i'm very happy to uh be a part of the network so i'd like to welcome all the new listeners because of that and uh i'm excited for some uh, new episodes coming up so please check back in leave a review on itunes if you have any suggestions you can email me at it's that episode at gmail.com uh and if you want to send in pictures of your pets uh doing silly tricks uh i will ignore them I don't know why you would do that. That doesn't make any sense. I, I don't want to see... I mean, I'll take a look, but I'm not going to really do anything with them. Uh, so don't send those in. And uh, thanks again for listening. Have a great night and an early mañana. Adios, amigos. <laughs>